Welcome to Talk of the Hill, your chance to step out of your comfort zone and dig deeper than the headlines into current affairs and important issues. Join us as we learn more about our communities through candid conversations with special guests covering everything from history and culture to entertainment and life advice. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode six of Talk of the Hill. Today, Tabitha and I are switching up to something slightly different. We are doing a book review instead, and this month we've read *The Chosen* and *The Beautiful* by Nhi Va, and we can't wait to share with you guys our thoughts on this book. I just wanted to mention that there will be spoilers in this episode, so if you haven't read the book and are planning to, or just hate spoilers in general. We don't recommend you to listen to this episode until you read it, but of course, we want you to stay. So perhaps this review will help you to decide whether you want to give this book a try or not. Hillary suggested this very interesting book, so we'll tell you a little bit about it in case you haven't read it yet. Um, so Nivo basically decided to take on *The Great Gatsby*. Uh, the classic story by F. Scott Fitzgerald is considered a, an American classic of the jazz age, and um, she decided to reinvent this story through the lens of one of the secondary characters, Jordan Baker. So, if you're familiar with the original Great Gatsby, Jordan Baker is a secondary side character um, who has a bit of a function like the narrator character. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about about that character as we talk about this book. Uh, but Jordan doesn't really have a prominent role in the original Great Gatsby, but she is definitely part of the story, part of the action, and an observer throughout. So Nevo took Jordan and decided to make her the central character of her version of the Great Gatsby, reimagined through the lens of a sort of decadent, demonic. Fantasy version of 1922 New York City and New York State.、Uh, so it's a really interesting, creative idea to take on a classic and reimagine it in this way. And I thought it was just an absolutely fantastic idea to read this together in the summer, especially. So if you're familiar with The Great Gatsby or with this book, The Chosen and the Beautiful, it takes place in the summer, and it's really, really hot. So it's kind of the perfect thing to read when it's also really, really hot wherever you are in the summer. Although this summer has not been that hot yet,、uh, but、true. we have had some hot days, and I was reading it on some hot, humid days, and I could feel <laughs> the humidity of the book as I was sitting in the humidity reading it. So that was kind of a fun part of it. So Jordan takes us through the the same sort of plot that happens in The Great Gatsby, but from her perspective, and we get to learn a lot more about her adventures throughout this. Very hot, steamy, exciting summer in 1922 in the Roaring Twenties.、Uh, but unlike in the original Great Gatsby, Jordan Baker is、uh, perhaps a more dynamic, interesting character. She's、uh, Asian. She's Vietnamese.、Um, her her ethnicity or her race is often at question within the book, and she's also queer. So she's she's definitely represented differently in this story. Um, which adds to really the the kind of creative take on what was happening during this period of time. So that's a little bit of a quick summary and introduction to what the Chosen and the Beautiful is about. 
Right. And to be honest with you, I haven't really read The Great Gatsby yet. Um, so this is a very interesting part for me to be able to review um, The Chosen and, and The Beautiful, just because I probably wouldn't be able to compare as much with The Great Gatsby. And uh, I've watched the movie, the one back in uh -huh. 2013. <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought that Jordan is such an interesting character in the original. Um, and I think that the movie is pretty close to the book, right? It, it is. Yep, it is pretty close. It's, so that's really cool, actually, that you haven't read The Great Gatsby and I have. That's kind of a really fun way to to take on this particular book to have someone who hasn't read The Great Gatsby and someone who has, because we're probably going to have very different perspectives on it. I just didn't think that I should really read The Great Gatsby first and then go into this retelling to be able to understand a little bit more of the context. Because I know that a lot of times retelling story, you don't really need to know um, or have read the originals in order to understand everything. But according to what I've read from other reviewers, they did say that it would be a little bit helpful for you to read The, the Great Gatsby before you go into The Chosen and The Beautiful, just because um, a lot of times Niva, she did pull out a lot of dialogues and scenes from The Great Gatsby directly. Yes, so that's very interesting. But yeah, I, I just thought that if I have to base off on the movie that I've watched, um, then partly because, you know, some of the mysteries involving um, Jordan's past and... And I think that Va actually takes full advantage of these mysteries just by making her an adopted orphan of Vietnamese mm -hmm. descent. Yeah, she definitely does. That, that's a really good point, Hillary, that Jordan Baker in the original Great Gatsby and then in this retelling, she has this mystique or this, this aura of mystery about her. Uh, she seems very aloof. That's how she's kind of presented in the original. Um, very kind of unattached, but yet also very interesting and, and a bit seductive and definitely kind of a, a curious character. She also seems very independent as a woman too. She seems, she's, I think, portrayed as kind of a, a contrast to Daisy, that she is more independent and in control of her emotions. And she's, she's very much above all this this sort of sentimental decadence that's happening around her that she gets a kick out of it but she's not in it she's she's above it all she's distant from it um and i think uh, niva did a really interesting job of expanding upon those characteristics in her creation of jordan baker as a more fulsome character in this retelling um she she definitely helps dispel a little bit the idea that Jordan's not at all interested in what's going on or doesn't have emotions. She certainly adds a lot of emotional depth to who Jordan is, uh, but she doesn't lose that, that mysteriousness and kind of that, uh, I guess we'll call her an independent free spirit. She doesn't lose that part of who she is at all. So my favorite part of the book probably was when Daisy was too drunk to go down on the reception, the wedding reception. Mm -hmm. And um, Jordan created a high school version of Daisy out of a, her, you know, magic paper cutting. Um, yeah. So it's just kind of refreshing to have a lot of magic going on in the middle of a scene like this. Um, because, it, you know, I actually thought that there would be more magic in this book, but it was very yeah. subtle. Yeah, so that scene of, of her cutting 
petting the fake Daisy, creating the magical paper version of Daisy that's going to replace Daisy at the reception that she's missing because she's too drunk. That's a great moment. And you're right. The magic is introduced in very subtle ways. And it starts earlier in the book, too, that that's when Daisy and Jordan first meet each other as children. Uh, Jordan surprises herself by suddenly having this ability to, to cut paper in a way that creates a magical creature. And when she's a little girl, it's yeah. a dragon. This makes oh, me wait, think was it a, oh, yeah. sorry, was it a dragon or a tiger? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I was like, maybe it was a lion or a tiger. Oh, huh. Did I she get it, the details right? I think it was Is it a, a lion. Was it a oh, lion, like a fire breathing lion? Pinched between my thing, the paper lion. It's a lion. It's a lion. Okay. It's on <laughs> okay. page 16. It's a lion. Yes. For some reason I wanted it. I think because of the, there was, there was like a lot of fire and there's a lot of things flying through the magical air at night and stuff. Throughout. Yeah. Like it became a <laughs> yeah. dragon. One of my favorite parts then is actually the end. It's the ending. Um, so for, for people who know about The Great Gatsby, either by seeing the movie in, in Hillary's case, or if you've read it, uh, it kind of has an anticlimactic ending in a lot of ways, and it doesn't really have a fulsome resolution. And Nivo changes that. So she, she adds another type of ending to this through what happens with Nick Carraway, who is the narrator, and also her love interest, one of her love interests in, in the book, and Jordan. So this is where we've got a really big spoiler for you folks. Um, <laughs> Nick turns out to be a paper version of himself. He is not real in a sense. He's real, but he's not. He's a, he's a paper version of himself. The real Nick Carraway, it's revealed to us, had actually died. His family, there's actually a magic paper cutter potentially in his family as well, in his heritage. And they, when he passed away, he was turned into a paper version to go on and continue living. And at the end of the story, Jordan sort of finds a way to release Nick from some of the, the tortures he's had in his life of, of being obsessed with certain people by actually cutting him open and exposing his, his paper heart inside and changing what's written on that paper heart. Not completely, but enough to sort of free the paper Nick from the torments of being in love or obsessed with some of the other characters in the story. Um, she also includes a little bit of herself so that she stays with him in his heart in a little small way through adding just a small little kiss. Uh, but I thought that was just an incredibly beautiful and unexpected way to sum things up at the end and to also kind of seal the story around Nick and Jordan because um, we don't in the original get, Great Gatsby get to learn very much about their trajectory at all. Right so I was wondering about that too. Um, so what happened to Nick at the end of the Great Gatsby? So nothing really nothing really happens to Nick that's the thing and Nick so Nick is the narrator in the Great right. Gatsby. We see everything through his eyes and that is a sort of main theme in the great gatsby that there's a lot of secondary viewing or telling of stories from afar happening and it's there's a lot of kind of imagery and metaphor associated with watching these things unfold so that comes out in this retelling as well with the billboard the big billboard with the eyes uh, the glasses 
uh, that's a really significant part of the original too. That billboard is used a lot as a sort of literary device to, to, to reflect the fact that there's a kind of sense of watching these disastrous events unfold below. And right. Nick is part of that. And to turn him to kind of take his, um, we might call it emptiness, I guess, in the fact that he's not really got a lot of key substance in the original because he's telling the story of Jay and Daisy and, and Jordan to some extent, but these other characters, he's inserting his view on it, but he's also just telling the story. So to turn him into a paper version and this is kind of a funny way to poke at them being just this outsider watching what's happening. Um, so in the, yeah, in the original, he doesn't, you don't really learn much about what happens to him. He just sort of finishes off the telling of, of how Gatsby fell from grace, the, the sadness of that story. And Daisy went off to lead her sort of untroubled life with a life of luxury and privilege. And she's not really touched by any of the, the chaos or the, the bad things that happen, even if she's part of causing them. She gets to kind of go off and be protected from that, whereas Gatsby is ruined, um, ruined and forgotten. Right. And she is not. So. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that is sort of like a similar vibe in The Chosen and The Beautiful as well. Um, mm -hmm. As you can see a little bit from, you know, the re relationship between Daisy and um, Jordan in The Chosen and The Beautiful, that sometimes Daisy can be a very reckless friend, I feel. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I was wondering if it was being portrayed in the original as well. So that's why Niva decided to have that piece um, injected in, in this retelling story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really astute observation and it's, it's, it's held intact. So Daisy's character doesn't change that much, I would say, in terms of how it's depicted. Certain aspects of, of it change in cool ways, creative ways. And it's not that she doesn't have any depth at all, but her overall character uh, trajectory and her role, as you said, like as a potentially reckless friend, a reckless friend who does not understand her privilege and perhaps abuses people because of it. She uses people up. Um, that's the same. And I think it's good that, that that was kept the same in this retelling as well. I'm just wondering about the, is it called demo, Demonet? Demoniac? Demoniac, demoniac or okay. I don't know how it's pronounced, right? Yeah. <laughs> we can call it whatever we want, I guess. I call, I guess in my head, I was reading it as demoniac. Right, so right. Sounds like, uh, like other words, like a salzerac, which is a drink. So. Okay, okay. So it's, it's almost like a potent drop like drink, I guess. Um, but it seems to be a little bit more fashionable. You know, that is often added to the liquor or simply sipped by itself in, um, in, in the story. Do you think it's some sort of, um, you know, indication of the upper class and privileged citizens who have access to demoniac and use it often? Yeah, it definitely seems to be a sign of privilege um, that you have to be very wealthy to get access to it. Uh, especially to get access to these really powerful versions of it, because Gatsby is able through his nefarious co connections to the underworld right. to to use it and to get access to these special rare bottles of it. 
um, which actually just before we go on about demoniac, uh, thinking of the underworld, this was a very clever thing. So we use the term underworld to refer to criminal underworld, right? And right. that is an element that's part of the original Great Gatsby. There's these hints that Gatsby is attached to organized crime. And that's how he kind of came to be so wealthy is that he, he made deals with organized crime to gain his wealth, which we would also use the saying of you made a deal with the devil, right? You sold your soul. But it, in, when we're saying that, we're not usually being literal about selling your soul. We're using it as an expression to say like you made a deal with bad people who now exert a lot of power over your life um, so that you can have access to power and money. So very cleverly, Niveau decides to turn that into a literal underworld that there are actual demons just moving about and partying oh. in New York City in the 1920s and Gatsby is potentially a demon and allows for demons to kind of be part of his world that he's made deals literally with the devil to to have what he has and to basically have it all to pursue Daisy so I thought that was just an absolutely clever wonderful idea to take the the metaphorical underworld of the original Gatsby and turn it into the literal underworld and that's where the demoniac can't say it right the demoniac <laughs> is coming from it's coming from this actual underworld and I don't know what it is like they never go into detail about what it yep. actually is which like you said I was a little disappointed I would have liked to have learned more about what is this substance because it clearly carries some magical powers of some kind even if it's just like to get you drunk in a weird way for the night um but it is it like from demons is it their essence is it <laughs> i don't know and and this book's use of magic is very interesting but for some reason i just wish that you know they could have pinched more detail in the word building I don't know. I just, I just feel like because it's a, it's a retelling, and um, Niva really wanted to transform this book into completely fantasy. Um, mm -hmm. As you can see, that you know, like there's an underworld, demons, and magic, and ghosts as well. It would have been maybe not a retelling anymore if if the author had had focused too much on the world building. But I still had the same reaction that I wanted more of those details. Like I wanted to understand more where these demons are coming from. How are they operating yeah. in society? And everybody seems to know about it. And like she, she hints that there are ways to identify demons um, and that Gatsby may or may not be one. So there's all these hints. Everything's done with hints and subtlety and in the shadows and things that you kind of catch out of the periphery of your vision but never really get to to explore in too much detail which is probably the right tone to strike to retell the Gatsby in this lens but there was definitely part of me that was just very curious like please tell me more I want to know um, there are a lot of issues that being addressed in this book um, and I think that's why you know Niva really wanted to make Jordan queer and Asian descent so she mm -hmm. faces levels of the intersections of you know racism and misogyny as well and I'm sure that this was being addressed um, in the original but in a different way. Um, in a totally different way, for sure, yeah. There's a constant interpersonal exoticization by the rarefied circles she must navigate, but also the larger threat of a looming anti-immigrant Manchester Act and 
I believe that it's pretty much based on um, the real anti-immigration legislation of the 1920s in the States. So it does contextualize Gatsby famous themes um, through the lens of queer, magic, immigrant, Asian woman. It just makes sense. And it does, it does give the characters new depth and insight. But I, I definitely want to know a little bit more what the original did in terms of addressing racism and misogyny. It's been a while since I've read The Great Gatsby from, you know, cover to cover. So I won't be able to call out like particular passages. But the right. general sense of The Great Gatsby originally is, is of course, that the main characters are white. Uh, so Nick, Daisy and Tom and Gatsby all are more or less depicted as these white people in their 20s or 30s, maybe living through the jazz age. And they come from slightly different economic positions, class positions. Uh, Daisy and Tom come from old, established, more like aristocratic money and privilege. Jay Gatsby does not. And that's, that's considered a problem. Nick Carraway does and doesn't at the same time. He doesn't come from the same kind of wealth as Daisy. Uh, but he definitely comes from a proper sort of background. He's cousins with Daisy, so he's related to that kind of power and privilege, even if he himself didn't grow up with it and has more of maybe like a so-called middle-class experience. They're the main focus, but then, of course, there are references to, to race and to certain kind of aspects of the world not being completely white, but there certainly aren't any key characters who, who are depicted as being part of those groups and they right. don't get a voice necessarily. But at the same time, there's definitely a criticism of people who would be perhaps espousing racist views. So Tom, right. Daisy's husband, is depicted in both both the retelling and the original as a, a bigoted person, a racist, aggressive blowhard. And it's also hinted at that he's potentially violent towards Daisy, right? right. And that, that happens in the retelling as well. It's actually made more explicit in the retelling that he is likely a violent man and most likely is physically abusing Daisy which provides a, like maybe some context to be a bit more sympathetic to her. So in the sense that Tom is depicted, he is not a positive character in the book. He is, he is not depicted in a way that is particularly sympathetic most of the time. Yeah. Um, that changes a little bit when his mistress dies, but he, he's definitely not depicted in a good light. So it's, if we wanted to say that Fitzgerald, when he wrote The Great Gatsby, was trying to say that racism is bad. We could maybe say he was saying that, but it's it wouldn't say it's the dominant theme of the yeah. book in any way. Right, right. So that that is very interesting that Niva decided to um, turn that into one of the main themes of the book for her retelling. Mm -hmm. And I, I wish that there were more of the exploration of the non-belonging in between of the diaspora experience as well as her roots. Yeah. Um, there were some places I thought that could have done more justice to her struggles. And I guess rather than bringing them up and then moving on. So the book as a whole seemed to have an issue of mentioning things. You felt like, you know, like she did bring it up, but then it was not going anywhere towards mm -hmm. the end of the book. So yeah, I wish that there, there was more um, of that. And I'm not sure if, if that's what you, you were feeling as well when you were reading the book. She introduces these themes. I guess it's not that it's not running throughout the book. It does. We do get Jordan, 
the main character who's experiencing these tensions in in the ways that we get to read about the most, right? Like we get to know her inner thoughts more than anybody else's. Um, so we do get to kind of hear her reference this feeling of non-belonging for herself or this feeling out of place. We get to hear about the sort of microaggressions or just actual aggressions that she faces as a person who both passes as white or is accepted in certain white circles, but then does not. So she's sometimes included and then sometimes not included. Sometimes she's othered. And there seems to be really strategic points where people around her other her and say, oh, but you're not really part of our group. But then in other moments, she is, right? Like her aunt, Justine, I think is her name. She reassures yes. her that, oh, this isn't going to affect you, this, this, the specter of the anti-immigration act that's coming yes. down. Yeah, um, it seems it's it's very pervasive. Like this act seems very threatening that it's potentially going to result in people being expelled and deported. Not only people being prevented from coming in, but also people being forced to leave. She she reassures Jordan that oh, this won't affect you. You don't you don't you're not like them. So there's tet there's themes of this and references to this, but it's true that she doesn't really get to dig into it. And the part where she actually goes to I forget the name of the bar or the place that she goes to, Hillary. I forgot um, to actually. Um, she yeah, goes with the other paper cutter she meets. Yes, right? Kai. Kai. Kai, that's his name. Yes. Yeah. Kai. But I forgot the name of the pub. A detail. Well, read the book and then you'll know the name of the book. <laughs> yeah. listening. So Kai. Kai is an interesting character. And I think that's what you mean when the, the diaspora, like her interaction with the diaspora, that she both belongs and doesn't belong there as well. And that would have been cool to learn more about. Yeah, and I think he 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 is Vietnamese as well because I think at some point he was trying to speak Vietnamese to her and she you know couldn't understand it and then he kept emphasizing on the fact that but you're Vietnamese right to sort of like try to reconnect her with her roots and I think that sometimes maybe even Jordan didn't realize that you know this is where I'm actually from. Yes, exactly, and and then when she's among people who are potentially more like her or from her community, she's treated a bit as a traitor. The, I think it's Bai, 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 who's the the woman who she interacts with at the pub that Kai brings her to, or I guess he invites her to, he invites her to come to see his performance. And to, to, uh, that's his way of kind of including her and saying, hey, maybe you're going to feel more at home if you come here and meet others um, who are more like you. And this other person is is reacting pretty negatively to to Jordan. She's not yes. a fan. <laughs> yeah, she's frustrated by her and sees her as yeah an, a traitor or an outsider to their experience. Yes. So yeah, I recognize the tells that by was telling Jordan. Um, and I got a little bit excited because this is something that you know, like we have always been taught or told when we were younger um, at school and also at home. And they they usually told a story. Um, to children. So the first story was one of the the legends of Vietnam and thousands of years ago, as you've read, if you remember the details, the fairy basically gave birth to a pouch 
filled with 100 eggs and which soon hatched into 100 beautiful children. <laughs> and the children grew up strong and smart um, like their father and also kind-hearted and skillful like their mother. And they were all sons. They were taught well how to cultivate their lands and live nobly. But soon after, the couple started to grow unhappy and the semi-mythical king of dragons, I believe that's how it's being translated in English, always finds his heart longing for the coast while the fairy constantly yearns for the highlands. So the couple decided to divide the children. And of course, you know, I love my children and I have a lot of them. So of whom 50 will live with him along the coast and then she will lead the other 50 um, to live with her in the highlands. However, they made a promise that Despite the distance and separation, they must look after each other and always be there to lend a hand if anyone needs it. So he took 50 children to the coast and divided the areas for them to govern. He taught them the skills of fishing and the art of tattoos to scare off sea creatures as they dive and hunt for food. And the fairy took 50 children to the highlands, also divided her areas for them to govern. They were taught to live in the jungles and mountains and cultivate the soil to grow fruit trees for food. And they learned to build houses um, raised on bamboo stilts to keep themselves safe from wild animals. The children of these two are believed to be the ancestors of Vietnam, actually. Today, Vietnamese people call themselves the children of the dragon and the fairy, which is translated into just as they both promised to each other, all Vietnamese should love, honor, and protect one another. This legend has become the pride and bond of unity for all Vietnamese. And because according to many authors, this legendary story is very important to many Vietnamese people for a lot of reasons. So some interpreted the story to imply a strong national unity and cultural tolerance. And other women and historians interpreted the story to mean that matriarchal societies didn't exist and are equal to patriarchal societies. Vietnamese women view her as a heroine and also as a symbol to fight for their nation and their right. And the second story is about the two Chung sisters who rode elephants to fight. So the Chung sisters are very well known in Vietnam. Um, they led the first resistance movement against the occupying Chinese after, I believe, more than 200 years of domination. And many temples are dedicated to them. And a yearly holiday in February to commemorate their death is observed by many Vietnamese. And even though the Chung sisters revolt against the Chinese was almost 2000 years ago, its legacy in Vietnam remains. And the two sisters are considered to be a national symbol in Vietnam. They represent Vietnam's independence. They are often depicted as two women riding two giant war elephants. So the Chung sisters were more than two sisters that actually gave their life up for the country. They are powerful symbols of Vietnamese resistance and freedom. And it is certainly interesting to see that Niva brought in these two stories as part of the book, I think somewhat to remind the readers where Jordan is from. And sometimes in the book, I feel like people can forget that 
she's the only person of color, or she's, she's the only one. And also perhaps to highlight the heroism and the feminism as a theme in this book. It sounded like just like a, a, a very small part of the book, but because I recognize the story, so I, I really wanted to elaborate or I wanted to explain a little bit better the details of the stories and maybe that would provide a better context. And um, as you are listening to this podcast, whether you have read the book or haven't read the book, you would be able to analyze or tell us why Niva wanted to use these two stories in this retelling. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hillary, for telling those two stories more fully. It's fantastic to actually hear them with more of the details because I like I've been flipping through the book as as you were telling those stories, trying to find those sections when they're they're at the pub. I guess it's in Chinatown, but it, it clearly is a place where Vietnamese folks are spending time together that they gather in the evenings to to do this magical paper cutting, to tell stories, to drink, to drink a lot, apparently, yeah. when they're there. And and yeah, to tell these stories and and they or Bai tells the stories. Um, so to hear more of the details of the stories really adds to the kind of importance of those things in, in helping, helping Jordan start to think about connecting with her, her culture and with her people and with her heritage. And I just found a line about it, actually. So Bai tried to tell me the story of the two elephant riding sisters who took on all of China and Vietnam's prehistory but I wasn't able to focus on her for more than a few minutes before my brain wandered away in desperation. So that's, yeah. a, that's that moment where she's trying to tell the story and trying to connect with Jordan. She wants to connect with Jordan. She wants um, her to hear these stories and to think about them. So that's, that's really an important part. I thank you for telling me the rest of the details. I didn't know all of those details. I kind of understood the the first one about the origin story of right. of because uh, I kind of recognized it. Oh, okay, this is an origin story, but I didn't know all of the other details about it. And I yeah. suspect, like as someone who knows those stories, like those moments are maybe a bit even more special and kind of meaningful when you're reading. Yeah, I was like, oh, these stories sound really familiar. And then, um, <laughs> because it's just been a while, it's been years. And I'm sure that, you know, I've heard these stories when I was in kindergarten or as a toddler. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was so interesting to see them again, but in English writing. And I was like, wow, okay, I need to really look into that again, because there are so many more details that, you know, like I definitely can can get from and maybe I have forgotten. But these stories were one of the the popular, the famous ones that every single Vietnamese um, would know about. And I think that's what I wanted to see a little bit more when before going into the book, because I know that Niva is Vietnamese herself. Um, mm -hmm. I think she's Vietnamese American. And so I'm sure that, you know, she's really familiar with the culture and she's familiar with the her own identity. And I think that maybe somewhat she's reflecting herself or projecting herself mm -hmm. onto Jordan, because a lot of time I feel like a lot of Asian Americans, they do have that connection with their roots because of the family that they have still in America or in Canada, even Asian Canadians too. If Jordan was being taken or being adopted, I, I said taken because I remember that it was kind of hinted that she was being taken, actually not 
adopted properly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The details of that are hinted at a couple times. But the story yeah. of how she came to be in America is not maybe how how it's depicted by her family that she was more so taken. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I felt like, you know, she has been brought up by a white family and she just had these white friends around her. Um, she didn't really have anyone else to really tell her about her culture. And so I, I just thought that it was interesting. And you did bring up that sentence from the book that, you know, she kind of drifted away uh, when <laughs> Bai was trying to tell her the stories of the of Vietnam. And um, she was not too, too, too interested in um, learning a little bit more. And I'm just, I, I just found it very intriguing for sure. Such, again, such a great idea to try and incorporate these different themes into a retelling. And I, I guess I'd love to know more of why Neva chose The Great Gatsby. Like she must have really loved that story I think, <laughs> to, to decide like, I'm going to retell it in this way. I'm going to pick that story. And to incorporate this, this complicated experience of identity for Jordan of interacting with a community, a diasporic community and trying to feel like she belongs there. And I, and you can tell that this is like a, this is a big deal for her. And maybe that's also why she got too drunk is because yeah. she was, she was uncomfortable. She was nervous. She was yes. afraid of this, that she was going to feel like an outsider with people who she doesn't want to feel like an outsider with. And she already feels like an outsider in other parts of her life too. So she never feels like she really quite belongs, which is actually, if we pick just that main character trait that the original Jordan in The Great Scotsby had of being this outsider who seems sort of above or outside of everything. Like she, she kind of, she can be part of the story, but she always is a little bit on the outside. She's always above it or looking in from the outside and to then turn it into this experience of identity that Jordan in this story is experiencing that's that's a really really great way to amplify that I think and to help readers try and inhabit that experience which is super important about stories like this right like this is how we build empathy and understanding of others experience and identity is through stories that are told this well. How do you understand um, the title of the book, The Chosen and the Beautiful? Oh, that's a great question, Hillary. <laughs> and one that I haven't really thought that much about. Well, I have and I haven't. On the surface, I think the first part of it is, it's pretty evident, the chosen and the beautiful. So the chosen are are the people who are in, right? The people who count, the people who have the privilege, they are the dominant group, they are the chosen ones, right? And right. Their, their trajectory, their life trajectory is very different from people who are not part of the chosen. And I think you could decide when you read this, either the original Great Gatsby or this retelling, who are the chosen? You can pretty quickly see who, Tom, Daisy, they are both part of the chosen. And then there's other kind of other right. people who are referenced who are probably part of the chosen as well. But Gatsby's not. Gatsby can't get in. Uh, that's that's one of the main messages of the original is that Gatsby, you know, even though he has what seems to be more money than Daisy and Tom and more power potentially at the time, he's still not in. He's still not part of the chosen. In the retelling 
it's clear that Jordan is not part of the chosen and Nick potentially is not either. Nick and, and Jordan and obviously Kai and Bai and others, they don't get to be part of the chosen. Right. But they do get to be part of the beautiful for certain right. moments, right? So I almost wonder if she chose the chosen and the beautiful as these sort of distinct groups who intermingle at various points or intersect. So Jordan has these moments where she gets to be part or to be with the chosen. She gets to interact with them because she's part of the beautiful of that era. She's, she's part of that, but she doesn't stay there and the beautiful will not necessarily get to continue being part of the chosen as time goes on. So I guess it's going to remain a mystery, but I, I really like For the sure. explanation that you have. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is right. And that's just my explanation. That could be totally not what you yes. wanted at all. <laughs> she could yep. be going for something else completely different. Uh, I think you could maybe also say that Chosen might have something to do with this underworld that she's talking about too. And, and kind of Gatsby ends up being sort of chosen or choosing to be to be possessed in a way. I don't know. There's there's probably lots of different interpretations. Mm. But mine, mine is thinking more about these in-groups and out-groups and what kind of grants you permission to enter into the world of the privileged. And there's different types of currency. Clearly in this book, and as well, I would say in other books from and about the Roaring Twenties, appearance, like physical appearance, beauty and youth, were definitely forms of currency for entering into these worlds of privilege. Arguably, those are still forms of currency for entering into these worlds. And there's definitely a kind of a important feminist lens we could apply there as to in terms of like being able to use your, your objectified physical appearance. And in Jordan's case, her exotified, like she's exoticized, right? She's this, yep. she's an exotic pet, um, which is, part of the othering of of people of color that happens in so many different troubling ways right so she's she's got she can use that as currency but it won't open every door for her even the name jordan baker right it sounds very white um even the name opens some social doors for her and but it doesn't really shelter her from racism of her peers or no. um, even allow her the freedom that they have. Um, no, not at all. Yeah. No. Maybe, you know, she was very inspired and she was also frustrated with um, the original, the Great Gatsby, that all of these issues that have been brought up briefly in the book in a different way um, could have been <laughs> elaborated a little bit more into something so much bigger. And I, I didn't actually find this, like it, there wasn't any moment in this where I was like, oh, scoffing that Aniva had chose a certain way to retell it. I actually right. was just really interested in the creative fantasy world and the different themes she wanted to explore. So I felt like she did an incredibly good job of retelling a story in a way that kept pieces that mattered kept some of the themes, kept some of the, the character traits that mattered in the original, while also adding these other elements of the plot, this uh, like amplifying Jordan's role, making her a complex 
developed character. And I think it was clever of her to choose Jordan, partly for all of the reasons you've already mentioned, but also for the fact that she wasn't very well developed in the original, right? So she didn't right. have, we didn't have any real attachment to who Jordan was in the original. So I think it was smart to say, okay, I'm going to pick a character that we don't really know much about yet. And I'm going to write her story. Because if you pick a character everybody loves and knows, people might react, right? And they'd be like, oh, there's no way that character <laughs> would do that. But we yeah. don't know. We have no idea what Jordan would or would not have done based on the original Great Gatsby. It, often it's been that people of color are relegated to secondary characters, right? That they, right. they're there, but they're not given the complexity or the development or the, the guess the value in the story of the main characters who for so long have overwhelmingly been white. And Niva very cleverly righted that in this story and said, nope, I'm gonna flip that. Not that Jordan was originally depicted as potentially having a sort of ambiguous ethnicity. She wasn't necessarily, but she I like that she said, no, I'm going to make the central character, this person who has a complex identity that's worth exploring and also has all these regular thoughts and feelings of like a 20 something year old person who's finding themselves too. Like that part's there too, that she also, she's also like just a curious, lusty, like, <laughs> happy, like sort of happy, having fun, partying. Like she's I forget how old she's supposed to be, but she's definitely like 20-ish, right, in the book. Yeah, I think it was in mentioned at some point, it was 21, but it was really hard 21. at some point to keep track of the age because it went yeah. kind of back and forth between the past <laughs> and the present. So one time they were 16 and 18, and then the other time they would be like 20-something. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So it is, it's a bit hard to keep track. And of course, like Daisy's maybe at a different stage in her life, even if she's close to the same age as Jordan, she's married and has a baby. And, but yeah, so, but for, for Jordan, it, she definitely came off the page at me as uh, a 20 ish person who's having an exciting summer of partying and exploring and finding herself and just kind of doing what she wants to certain, to a certain extent. And I like that she was given that she she's confused about how she feels about Nick, but she likes to put off the the put off the vibe that she doesn't care. Right. She's very nonchalant about the fact that Nick is potentially seeing other people, even though deep down part of her is actually quite sad or upset about that. So they, they give her all those very normal, relatable feelings that uh, that a person might have. So I liked that, that that was there as well. So I have a question for you because it just came up um, in my head when you were talking about the original and, you know, we've been doing a lot of comparison between the original and this retelling. So mm -hmm. was there a, a, an abortion scene in the original, just like this retelling? I don't think so, but I wonder if maybe there was a sort of veiled reference to Daisy having an abortion. Right. I think it was a scene that was used to explore the friendship between Daisy and Jordan. That's true. That's true. Right. Because Jordan is kind of put in the position of having to, to solve this problem for Daisy. Right. And that right. seems to be Daisy's modus operandi when she 
needs people to help her fix things, that's when she really wants them. So she uses Jordan a lot for that to, to fix her when she's a mess. So she has this unwanted pregnancy, this unexpected one that she needs to hide from others and she doesn't want to go through with. And she's not willing to actually follow through with this sort of humiliating experience of asking for the brown bag, the stamp, the code in the, in the diner that you have to use to get the brown bag that has the, presumably the drugs to um, facilitate a medical abortion, right? So she makes Jordan do it for her. And that's a, and one of those moments where it seems quite clear that Daisy's always going to be willing to, to put, to make people put themselves in difficult positions for her. And I think that was actually one of the first scenes that they brought up, um, you know, in the past. And yes. so maybe it just it was just a way to sort of, you know, build their friendship and to show people how close um, they are to each other. Yeah, um, how close to the, they are and the kind of dynamic they have. So the, the power relationship between Daisy and Jordan. Um, right. Jordan's seen Daisy through a lot. So like you said, they're very close. She's been through a lot with Daisy, but Daisy also relies on Jordan to help her clean up these messes that she gets into sometimes. That is true because she was the one that who actually went inside the restaurant to um, to get the medication. And um, she was the one that I believe that who was driving as well at the same time. Yes, um, I think so. so. She, yeah. Yeah, so she was really taking control over everything, um, mm-hmm. even though you know she was two years younger than Daisy. And that's what she repeated a couple of times in the book. Yeah, at the very end, when it we learn that Daisy kills a woman, right? She right. She she kills. She murders a woman with the vehicle through negligence and um, alcohol. I think is involved too, and she doesn't take responsibility for that. And she doesn't want to. She has absolutely no interest in taking responsibility for that. And that seems to be what Daisy does every time something bad happens, whether it's something bad happening to her or something bad that she's doing. She won't take responsibility for it. There are other people who should have to take responsibility for it. Um, Right. And Jordan is one of those people that she's willing, she's disposable to Daisy. She's she and she kind of complains when Jordan tries to hold her to account for this because Jordan is very upset about what Daisy has done. She's sick to her stomach about it. And Daisy says, oh, I just can't, I can't handle you today, right? Like I can't take this <laughs> from you today, right? Like she's not willing to be held to account. She doesn't come off very sympathetic in this, in this telling. She's also, which is not that different from the original. She, she comes off kind of, um, the, she's not she's not a very redeemable character by the end. Uh, same with Tom. Neither one of them do. All of the characters in this book are queer. So it's very interesting. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Because I know that, you know, I assumably all of the characters in the original are straight um, or heter- heterosexual. And so how did you find the relationship between Nick and, and Gatsby? I thought that was so interesting <laughs> that they that Niva decided to add that. Like I thought that was yep. really 
cool to make pretty much all of the characters queer or at least questioning right we don't yes. maybe always know but there's there's lots of ambiguity so I I won't lie I've actually been just quickly perusing some of the <laughs> the Wikipedia yeah. page for the Great Gatsby they've got some general themes that are always sort of brought up in analysis of the Great Gatsby and sexuality and identity are part of that and right. there was there was lots of commentary on Fitzgerald the author of the of the Great Gatsby throughout his lifetime like there were questions raised about his sexuality and that was oh. often applied to characters in his works too so and that there might have been hints of of people's sexuality not just being straight um, so I think it was clever in the retelling to make that more explicit to say yeah for sure these characters are not solely straight and a lot of them are experimenting or, or bisexual or just kind of exploring especially given the tone of the jazz age that the jazz age was this uproarious time of um, newfound sort of freedom and exploration for for young people of that generation not for everyone of course we can't pretend right. like it was a, a perfect time of equality it wasn't but for some people it was there was a lot of people really pushing the boundaries of of sexuality of independence and, and sexual freedom for women um and, and so it makes sense I think that 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 was amplified in the retelling and I enjoyed it at first, I wasn't 100% sure. I think like the first reference to Nick and Gatsby potentially having some sort of relationship. Yes. Yeah, I kind of missed it a little bit. And then it was repeated. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And then I think I've seen somewhere on the website or on Goodreads or whoever that commented on the relationship between Nick and um, Gatsby. It almost sounded like Nick has some sort of obsession towards Gatsby. <laughs> Do you feel that? Like, you know, I'm not sure if you remember from the book or even from the movie as well, the tone and the way that he feels and he talks about Gatsby. He does. He's very intrigued by this man. So I let it, I read it more as intrigue that he was just fascinated by right. Gatsby. Um, I didn't necessarily read it in a sort of sexual or romantic yeah. way. <laughs> yes. But other people I think have. Other people seem yeah. to have kind of maybe wondered about that that Fitzgerald was deliberately inserting some of that to hint at there being more to it and then in this retelling that was just extended to to actually be that and of course we're told fully at the end when Jordan opens up the paper chest of Nick and sees that Gatsby is written right on his heart right 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 he was in love with Gatsby and there's yes. like a, maybe a whole thing of like different people being tormented or obsessed with others that they can't have. Like Jay Gatsby is obsessed with Daisy and he's never fully going to have her. And right. Nick's obsessed with Jay, with Gatsby and never going to fully have him, even though he also loves Jordan. So it's, it's kind of neat that they added that. I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, there were a lot of theories going on um, about their own sexuality and relationships between them did you read it at school or did you read it um like just on your own is it like part of I the I read it at school I read it at school and then I read it again on my own later but I did read it at school yeah so I I figured that they would not discuss so much about all the, the, the <laughs> theories and whatnot <laughs> several years ago they weren't they were not potentially 
openly discussing those those themes yeah yeah, absolutely. So it is very interesting for sure that Niva decided to take that to the next level in her retelling and say, yeah. yep, nope, I, I got to bring this to the spotlight. <laughs> the characters are pretty close and similar to the original. Um, but is there anything else that you found that was interesting from the character of Gatsby comparing to the original? I found that Gatsby in the original was more sympathetic than in the retelling. So in the okay. retelling, Nivo kind of, <laughs> for lack of a better word, demonizes him, which is funny right. because he might actually be a demon. He's depicted as somebody who's been sort of destroyed by his obsessive love for Daisy, um, that it and that he's he's made so many compromises or he's compromised himself so much by literally apparently making a deal with the devil potentially or with the underworld to have his wealth, that he's made all of these really dark decisions. So his parties are hinted to be these, this part of this deal he's made that he has to host these opulent, outrageous parties that are potentially a feeding ground for demons. That's what it kind of references is that these are almost like a portal, that demons are at these parties possessing people and that that's part of his role is to provide these parties so that that can happen. And he's done this all so he can have Daisy. That um, mm. he's selling his soul, essentially, to have her. And that that has made him irredeemable. That he can't come back from it. Right. Um, so I, I found that he, and he doesn't, right? Like he, it ends up destroying him. Daisy ends up, his obsession with Daisy destroys him. Uh, I found that in the original, you feel really bad for Jake Gatsby at the end. Or at least I did. Um, right. And Nick does. Nick feels bad for him, too, that he was right. used by Daisy and Tom so badly. Um, but in this one, I think there's more done to see Jay Gatsby as potentially a really, a, a really risky person to be around. And Jordan often references that, that like, oof, he could really... Um, he could be very persuasive if he wanted to be, right? Like she could be really seduced by him if she wanted to be, um, that he could he could really, which apparently is because he might have this power that we don't understand. Um, but she doesn't present him as a very positive character. She says often that she doesn't like him. <laughs> yes, yes. And I was wondering too that in the original, if Jordan actually liked Gatsby, but we would never know that, right? Because they never show it's showed. not clear it's not yeah. that clear like it, she I think she ref, she definitely she knows about Gatsby's parties and in the original and she's been to them right yes and that's the beauty of retelling you can do whatever you want with mm -hmm. characters you can say you know my character likes to do this my character hates this, this character completely opposite to the original um without having any issue you said that the ending of the great Gatsby was anticlimactic and um, you just felt a little bit sad for for Jake yeah. Asby right and um, mm -hmm. about this ending that we have and you did you know um, tell us a little bit about how it ended in um, The Chosen and the Beautiful but how did you feel did you feel sad yes and no I didn't feel as sad with right. The Chosen and the Beautiful I because I think uh, Jordan's story ends in a better place like it of course 
Jordan's leaving because of the racist immigration policies that have now just been voted in, in, in New York and in the country, but she's leaving for different reasons. And like this, the way, the beautiful scene of her cutting open the paper chest of Nick Carraway and their kind of end to the story is rather poetic and sad, but not so sad, right? And right. Jordan's potentially going to have a really interesting future. She's found out some things about herself. She's learned she doesn't want to be attached to Daisy and Tom. She very right. much knows who they are and what they're about now. So she's going to distance herself from that. And she's going off in search of her own identity and her own heritage her to, to find her place in the world. So it kind of has a more positive ending for sure than, than the original Gatsby does. And that's why I thought too, just because, you know, again, the movie and then a lot of reviews that I've read from people um, who have read The Great Gatsby in the past, and it seemed like they were just frustrated with all of the characters. <laughs> um, they were just <laughs> upset with the decisions were being made. And, you know, um, it seemed like Nick was almost the only favorite character that people um, really, had, really had. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And when I read this one, I... I I felt a little bit sad and I think it just because I could kind of connect with um, with Jordan in a way right um, and it addressed a lot of a lot of issues that that we are still facing nowadays so it's very close to to home even though you know this this retelling fairly infused with magic and enchantments but it doesn't really help <laughs> um, with the with the sounding tone uh, sometimes that that these issues are being brought up in the book and and I like how you ended with that you know like I think that Niva really wanted to end the book with a more positive note, especially for our um, Jordan Baker, our main character in this book, um, because she's a minority and she might have experienced a lot of hardships and struggles um, through her life because of her race, ethnicity. I thought that it was such a, a great um, turnaround for the ending for this one. Very promising for sure for BIPOC folks. So we hope that you've enjoyed hearing our thoughts on the creative retelling of The Great Gatsby, The Chosen and the Beautiful by Neva. Uh, we hope that you read it. I would say Hillary and I both recommend it based on what you've heard today. So if you're okay with hearing some spoilers and then reading a book anyway, we strongly encourage you to check it out and stay tuned for some other book reviews potentially in the future when we have time, right, Hillary? <laughs> yes, yes, we definitely make time for it because I really enjoy doing book review with you, Tabitha. Um, I enjoyed doing this with you too, Hillary. And thank you so much for coming up with this idea. I really appreciate you suggesting it.